Alrighty, take your Bibles this morning to Joshua 24. Joshua chapter 24. Well, that's a good song, man. I'll tell you what. I'm excited about the day when we'll be able to look upon the face of Jesus Christ. What a good day that'll be. Man, that'll be awesome. Happy Father's Day. We're excited that you've chosen to come and take time out of your busy schedules on this holiday weekend to come join us. We want to take a moment this morning to just maybe look at how us as fathers, us men that are fathers, can improve in our walk with the Lord, how we can develop a relationship with Him that our children, that our wife, that others around may be able to see, recognize, and follow. So Joshua chapter 24 this morning, we'll start reading in verse 14. The Bible says, Now therefore fear the Lord, and serve Him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God, He it is that brought us up out and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, and which did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way wherein we went and among all the people through Him whom we passed. And the Lord drave out from before us all the people, even the Amorites which dwelt in the land. Therefore will we also serve the Lord, for He is our God. And Joshua said unto the people, You cannot serve the Lord, for He is an holy God, for He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve strange gods, then He will turn and do you hurt and consume you. After that He hath done you good. And the people said unto Joshua, Nay, but we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said unto the people, Ye are witnesses against yourselves, that ye have chosen you the Lord to serve Him. And they said, We are witnesses. Now therefore put away, said he, the strange gods which are among you, and incline your heart unto the Lord God of Israel. And the people said unto Joshua, The Lord our God will, will we serve and His voice will we obey. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we're so thankful that it's Sunday. Lord, I'm thankful that we're here. And uh, I love this singing. I love the choir songs. I love the uh, congregational songs. But Lord, I love preaching the Word of God. I love hearing the preaching of God. And Lord, it affects my heart like nothing else in the service. So, Lord, I pray for your help today. I pray that you would lead me and direct me. I pray that you would withhold me and with, with strength, uh, keep me back from saying things that would not be pleasing to you. And I pray that today people would see clearly the Word of God. And I pray that your Spirit would work in the hearts of the hearers this morning. I pray all this in your Son's precious name. Amen. You know, America has got a lot of problems for sure. Uh, even in the Christian home, we have a lot of problems. 
Uh, divorce rate is just as high in our homes in Christianity as it is in the world, almost 50%. We have a lot of issues, but let me just say this. I think one thing that could fix our issues is more committed fathers. And I'm not saying com- more committed as in a larger number. I'm saying the number that are committed now to get more committed than they are now. And we do need more people to commit to the Lord, but this morning we need more committed fathers. I remember when I was much younger, I'm talking about knee high to a grasshopper. You know, that's how the old timers call it. You go, I remember you and you knee high to a grasshopper. And so that's how tall I was. I don't know. We have pretty big grasshoppers in Texas. So, uh, so I was uh, you know, probably four years old. And now, as I've told you all several times, our family is very outdoorsy. We hunt, we fish, we do all those types of things. And and when I was a very young age, my father bought me a Daisy air gun. So I had that, and that was a lot of fun. I remember the day I shot my little tykes basketball goal, and I did not realize that BBs cannot penetrate plastic, and it came back and it hit me. And so that was a bad day. But I did learn that ricochets can kill. Okay, so I killed little birds. I enjoyed all that fun. You know, shot a bunch of cans with that. But I remember the first day that I was ever, I ever had the opportunity to shoot what I would consider a high-powered gun. Now, anything that can actually penetrate your skin is a high-powered gun to me, okay? And that BB that day, it stung me good, but it didn't penetrate my skin. So I remember the first day, I was probably four years old, and my dad was going to let me shoot his twenty-two coon hunting pistol. 22 long rifle, it's very small round, uh, very, very small. My dad was going to teach me how to shoot a handgun. So we were in Tennessee at my Granny B's house, and, and we, I was so excited about this. My dad was teaching me how, showing me the technique. And, and so he handed me the gun, and he showed me, first of all, as every good father does, now here's the safety, right? And he showed me, you know, we got to get this right. You know, we cannot shoot this gun. Guns are not to be played with. That's a problem is a lot of people are playing with guns and having accidents, but guns are not to be played with. And my dad at a very young age, when I was four years old, said, Andrew, guns are not to be played with. They have a purpose. And you control the gun. The gun does not control you. And he showed me where the safety was. And then the second most important thing is how to load it. And then the third most important thing is where to pull the trigger, right? And so my dad was showing me all those things and and I remember he set a, 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 a five-gallon bucket out there, not very far at all from me, not even from here to the back of the auditorium. And I took this twenty-two pistol, and I began to line up to shoot this. My dad's like, you put that back sight right on that front sight, you line those up, and you pull, put them on the bucket and shoot the gun. So I pulled it right up here, so I could see that bad boy. I was more focused on the seeing part of the sight. So I'm looking at that thing. I remember, and he had not taught me to squeeze yet, so I was just pulling, but I remember pulling that trigger. And yeah, I shot the gun. But it felt like the gun had shot me. (laughs) The slide on the top of the gun that ejects the bullet had come back and hit me right between the eyes. There's a little uh, sight, that back sight is shaped like this. There's a little V in it. And when I shot that gun, that sight came and just cut me right there. And I have a scar right between my eyes to this day. Probably the reason I had trouble getting dates in high school. Because I have a scar on my face. 
And it was a terrible thing. Now, now this is what's happened. I, I've shot the gun. I'm bleeding. I just dropped the gun. I'm not too worried about gun safety when my face hurts like somebody just punched me. So I dropped the gun. I'm not concerned whether or not I hit the bucket. I'm running around screaming, crying, blood, tears everywhere. It's streaming down my face. It's a terrible day. And, and I was like, Dad, I just my face hurts. And he said, get back over here and shoot this bucket. Apparently, the fifth thing about shooting guns is accuracy. It does not matter if you know where the safety is. It does not matter if you know where the trigger is. It does not matter if you know how to load it. If you can't shoot straight, you ain't got no business holding a gun in the first place. And so my dad was teaching me the lesson of, you must commit to something. And I remember I grabbed that gun the second time, and it was hard to look through the stream of blood going through my eyeball. But I, I this time I was like, <clears throat> Is this good, Dad? Is it going to shoot me? (laughs) I shot that bucket, and I remember just handing it to him, running inside. And I was like, my dad can teach me commitment, but I want my mama's compassion right now. And so I ran in there. Mama, Dad shot me. (laughs) And she she doctored me up. Now, it was not much longer after that. uh, I was going to godly uh, public school, and I... It was the time when you're supposed to decide whether you need to go to pre-K or you go straight into kindergarten. And so we went to that and they do a child screening and they take you away from your parents and they ask you all types of questions. And I remember the uh, woman asked me the question, what happened right there between your eyes? (laughs) And I'm a little better at telling the story now, but I just looked at her and said, ma'am, my daddy shot me. She goes out to my mom and I get in the car and she says, Ma'am, we asked him what happened between his eyes there and he informed us that his father shot him. (laughs) So my mom had to go through the whole long story. But that day my dad was teaching me something about commitment. Regardless of the pain, regardless of the circumstances, regardless if you start something, you finish it. I'm thankful for that lesson. You know, that was more of like a secular, more worldly type lesson. You know, you just, you got to be a man. You got to start something, finish something. But I'm thankful for the commitment that I've seen in my father, that it was not a rarity to see him reading his Bible. It was a rarity to see him not. I'm thankful that my dad was never ashamed to pray in front of us. I'm thankful that we always prayed for our food at the dinner table. You know, that day I learned a painful lesson on how to shoot a gun. But throughout my life, I have seen a man model great commitment towards his Lord and Savior. I can be honest with you, unless the Lord had just done a real miracle in my life, I'm not saying He couldn't have, but I would not be anything if it had not been for my dad's leadership in my life. He is the reason that I uh, loved preaching. He is the reason that I wanted to do something for the Lord. And His example sparked me to do something. You see, Daddy, your example is sparking your kids one way or the other. Your example and your leadership in their life, whether positive or negative, is having a direct effect on your children and on your wife. So this morning, I want to look at three things here in Joshua that I believe men can become more dedicated on. I'm excited for the dedication uh, of the baby over here, of Ryan's little baby. I'm excited for that. I'm excited for the dedication of my baby. We're going to probably do it bigger than Ryan's. You know, today my dad will hold 
the baby down here, but we're going to Lion King my baby, okay? We're going to hold it up. We're going to have a drum ceremony. Amy's going to be in the background. Ha! We've, we've practiced it already. I'm excited for our baby's dedication, but you know what? I don't remember a single thing about my dedication. I was way too young. Really, that baby's dedication is the fact that Ryan and Lauren are dedicating their selves to raising that baby. You see, I believe today our fathers need to make a dedication to the Lord. And if we can have a baby dedication and a bunch of daddy dedications on the same day, I believe it would please the Lord. So this morning, first of all, I want to take a look at one thing we need is dads who will make a decision. Dads who will make a decision. Look in verse 14 and verse 15. Now, let's be honest. All of us know this passage of Scripture. If this isn't a fireball passage of Scripture, I don't know very many in the Bible. Verse 14, the Bible says, Now therefore fear the Lord, and serve Him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood, and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve. But you do need to make a choice. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You see, Joshua at this point in his life is a much, much older man. The Bible tells us later on in the passage that he is 110 years old right now. Now, he is by far the oldest man in the nation of Israel right now, because if you remember, all his generation had to die off. Him and Caleb are the only ones there. And so, and so now Joshua is an older man. He's the leader of the nation of Israel. He is Moses' second generation. He is the guy that's leading Israel. And so now Joshua stands up and he knows he's about to die. And he's just looking at the nation of Israel and he says, If I can have some words of parting wisdom for you, this would be it. Choose who you're going to serve. He calls them to a decision. He says, I'm tired of wishy-washy Christianity. You have to decide who you will serve. You know, first of all, I notice that it's a very personal decision on who you're going de- to serve. You see, Joshua goes through and he says, now there's lots of choices. You can serve the gods that we had back in Egypt. That worked out well for the Egyptians when all our plagues were upon them, right? You can even serve the gods of the Amorites, which is kind of silly to do because we've got them, you know, we've beaten them in so many battles. Where was their God during that? Our God's powerful. You have choices. You can go even back to where Abraham was and where uh, they were serving gods before the flood even came in. And you you have choices But you have to decide for yourself. And I know as a leader in Israel, I am going to serve our God. It's a very personal decision. You know, one sad thing to me in our modern day independent fundamental Baptist movement is that most fathers in their homes are depending on the pastor to model what a godly man ought to be. If it were not for the man of God that stands up and preach their children would not know what a man of God was supposed to look like. You see, the home is supposed to have a godly man in every home. It was God's plan that Adam would lead his wife. It was God's plan that Abraham would lead his wife. It was God's plan that every man leads his family 
in subjection to the Lord. You see, it's a very, very personal decision. But it's not an easy decision. It goes against the grain. It is definitely not the path of least resistance. But the path of least resistance is what makes rivers, roads, and men crooked. You see, it's easy to be a bad dad. It's easy to be a bad man because this world and its philosophies tell us that we can do whatever we want. Uh, There is no real truth. There is no certain truth. It's all subjective. It's all what you want to do. But I'm here today to tell you that the Bible tells us a very much different story. It tells us that a man ought to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we have that honor and we have that privilege that we can go to him personally. And you don't have to go through a priest. And as Jesus died on the cross, the temple veil was written too, telling us that we now have access to the Father. Let me just say this morning, you have to decide who you're going to serve. There's lots of choices. You say, well, we're not going to sacrifice any animals on the altar of Baal. No, but you might on the altar of work. We might on the altar of hobby. I'm just saying this morning, there is a lot in this world that looks innocent, that this world is telling us is okay, and it's got too much of our attention. And God's sitting in the background saying, I want you to serve me. You deserve, I deserve for you to to serve me. But you have to decide to do it personally. Cannot be the man of God for you. It must be you as the man of God. Psalms 128 verses 1 through 4 says, Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord, that walketh in His ways, for thou shalt eat the labor of thy hands. Happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of thy house. Thy children like olive plants round about thy table. Behold that thus shall be the man be blessed that feareth the Lord. You know why kids are rebelling against a lot of their parents? It's because their parents aren't godly parents. And I tell my teenagers when I preach to them and I try encouraging them, one cool thing about being a teenager is God's will is right in front of you at all times. You know, as a man now, I seek godly counsel and I pray and I fast and I try getting what God's will for my life is. But a teenager, it's pretty easy. Mom and dad, what do you want me to do? That's a pretty cool thing. Now, now teenagers don't view it sometimes as cool. But they have the oracle of God standing right in front of them. And His will is what their parents want them to do. But let me just say, how can you expect respect if your children don't see you live a godly life? You say, well, I bring home the money. I work hard. They can get a job at the movie theaters and make ends meet, y'all. I'm just saying we ought to model Christianity. We ought to model a personal relationship with Christ. Secondly, not only is it a personal decision, it is a preeminence decision. In verse 15, I love how Joshua, it's almost as if he's giving them a choice, right? And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, if it's not easy, if it's not convenient, if that's not what you want to do, you can serve these gods that have been defeated. If, if, if you don't want to serve God Almighty, you can serve the gods of the Amorites who are running scared from us right now. It, 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 see, there's no real choice. There's no substitute for God. 
He is all. He provides all. He supplies all. And Joshua is not saying, you need to choose because there's a lot of good choices. Father, you need to choose because there is no other choice. There is happiness in no other thing but a life completely molded and subjected to the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no joy outside of living a life pleasing to the Lord. There is no happiness except pleasing God with your life. See, Joshua is not saying there's a choice. He's saying God's the only choice. I'm reminded of the extremely dramatic scene on Mount Carmel. As Elijah knows what he's going to do and he says, Okay, prophets of Baal, gather around. You pick the best bullock you can find. You go grab you the prettiest cow. And you take it. And I'll take whatever scraggly one you want to bring me. Now we're both going to get our cows, we're both going to make our altars, and I'll let you go first, because I'm a gentleman. And remember what he says, he says, now we're going to call fire from heaven, and the God who answers by fire, that's the God we'll serve. And the prophets of Baal begin to cut themselves, they begin to scream, they begin to pray. The Bible says, from morning until noontime, so I imagine six hours, these men have just uh, pled with their God for uh, oh God oh Baal help us out send fire upon this bull and Elijah standing over in the corner and who says a preacher can't be sarcastic because Elijah starts saying some pretty sarcastic things oh, Baal's a god maybe he's on vacation perhaps he even sleeps maybe you should send someone to go wake him up. No. Elijah looks at everybody out there. He says, how long halt ye between two opinions? How long are you going to play this wishy-washy game? The God that answers by fire. And Elijah just immediately uh, uh, says, God, send the fire. And the fire came down from heaven. See, there is no choice. There is no second option or opinion. You men that are deeper in sin than you can see, there is no joy in that. There is no pleasure in that. There is only guilt and shame. Let me say this morning, as I look at Jesus Christ and the work that He's done for us on Calvary, can you look at that and say there's a better option? Oh, it is by God's grace that He has called us. It is by His grace that He uses us. It is by His grace that He loves us. See, there is no other choice. It's a very personal choice. It's all about preeminence, though. What in your life is the most important decision? What in your life is the most important thing? I remember on my senior trip, we went to Branson, Missouri. And we took me and my classmates and we went to Dixieland Stampede. Now, I know technically Texas is not in the South. Southern geographically, but I know when it comes to the, you know, Civil War, Texas wasn't really involved that much. And, and we weren't really part of the South. And I know all this, but I remember they put me on the Yankee side up there at Dixie Stampede. And what you have is you have the Yankees and you have the Confederates. And I, I remember being stuck on old blue side. And I just, I wanted to be over there on the South side, man. I didn't want to be on the Yankee side. Now the Yankee side was winning. They were prevailing. But I just am a southern guy at heart. I'm a southern boy. And I'd rather go down trying, man. And we'll fight for Old South. You know, and I just love that. And I remember looking at my friends and we were all there. I was like, man, sure Steve's got stuck on the Yankee side. 
You see, my, my loyalty was over there. You see, there's no real choice, but it's all about what's more important to you. If the hobby's more important, if work's more important, choose it. But it's a bad choice. If there's something in your life that's more important to you than God, choose it. But it's a wrong decision. You see, this morning we need men of God that will stand up and say, I will be a father who will make a decision to follow after God. I will in my home model what the man of God preaches from the pulpit. I will lead my family in Bible readings and prayer. I will teach them the ways of the Lord. And I will not teach them emptily. I will walk them. But you have to make a decision. You hear so much preaching and you hear so much singing. And almost it numbs us to the altar call at the end. Let me just say, preaching is to move you to a decision. The entire goal for it is so that God can work into your heart and sanctify you through the preaching of God's Word. The Bible says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. We stand up here and we preach the word of God as truth. And and what we're saying is, men of God, decide. Decide who you will serve. Whether it be the gods of this current world, the money, the dollar, everything that your job says, this is what you ought to do. This is what you ought to do. But man of God, know this. We stand up here today calling you to serve God and to make a decision to do so. First of all, I see Joshua was calling people to make a decision. We need dads who will make a decision. Secondly, we need dads who will have dedication. Look here in verse 19. This is pretty cool. So Joshua now has the beginning of chapter 24 all the way down to where we began reading in verse 14 is a summary of what God has done for Israel throughout the many years that He's helped them. It goes from Abraham, it goes to Moses, it goes to Isaac, it goes to all these great monarchs of the faith. And it tells many miracles that God has done. Joshua's entire goal is to just end up and say, you ought to choose who you're going to serve. And then we see in verse 19 that Joshua gets the answer that he's looking for. But then he says this, you cannot serve the Lord for he is in holy God. He is a jealous God. Joshua right here is a little bit like a woman when there's something wrong. And she wants you to fix what's wrong. And so you say, is there something wrong? No, there's nothing wrong. That's a little bit how Joshua, because he said, he gets the result he wants. He says, you need to choose. The children of Israel say, you know what, Joshua, you're right. God has been good to us. He's done many miracles for us. So we will choose to serve the Lord. And then Joshua says, you can't serve him. Does that not perplex you a little bit as to why he would say that? Can I submit to you this morning? He was saying that you need a devotion. You need a loving devotion. Look here, in verses 16 and 18. This is the people's response to what Joshua said. Choose you this day. And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God, He it is that brought us up out of uh, our fathers, out of the land of Egypt. 
and from the house of bondage in which did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way wherein we went and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drave out from before us all the people, even the Amorites which dwelt in the land. Therefore will we also serve the Lord. He is our God. I believe as Joshua was standing there and he was hearing their answer, they said, you know what? God is a good God. He's been pretty good to us. So we're going to serve him. I think Joshua got a little sick and he said, you don't serve God because he's been good to you. You serve God because of who he is. Look in the next verse. He even goes on to say that in verse 19, you cannot serve the Lord. He goes on to say, for he is an holy God. He is a jealous God. You see what he's saying is, if you serve God because you have good times, when the bad times come, you'll just fall away. Look, if our service is based on God's actions and not His character, we will waver according to how our circumstances, how we understand our circumstances. You see... We serve God because He is good. But the God on the mountaintop that is good is still good in the valley. And Joshua is saying, look, your answer is weak. You're, you're just saying that because God's been good right now. Yeah, we've won a few battles. We've done a few good things. But I wonder if God put you through a test, if your Christianity would last then. You see, it takes more than just, just a decision. It takes a loving devotion. Boy, God has been good to us. We serve Him, and that's motivation. He's been good to us for what He's done for us. He's been good to me to give me a wife that's greater than I could have ever imagined. He's been good to me to place me in a home of a man of God. He's been good to me to give me this church. But if my wife were to leave me, and my father were to disown me, and this church fall apart at the seams, would my integrity stay with God? See, that's what Joshua is saying. You you can't just serve God because He's good. You serve God because He's God. It takes a loving devotion. Secondly, it takes a lasting devotion. Now, let's just be honest. Israel has not been an, an example of commitment in their history yet, have they? They are by no means modeling a, a straight devotion to God. Remember, oh, not so long ago when Moses was giving them what the word of the Lord would say, the word of the Lord would come to Moses, he would go down to the people and and he would say, hey, look, in in Exodus chapter 19, uh, he's, he's telling them, this is what the word of God says. The people answered, all that the Lord hath spoken to us, we will do. Then in Exodus chapter 24, the same thing happens. More word comes from God as to what God wants Israel to do. This is what He wants you to do. He doesn't want you to do this. He wants you to stay with Him. He doesn't want you to go here. And and they say, Oh, Moses, all the words which the Lord hath said, we will do. It is literally not chapters later we find Moses is missing. And he's getting a great word from the Lord as he's up on the mountain. And he's receiving something that will direct and lead the nation of Israel for years to come. And this is what happens in Exodus chapter 32. And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mountain, 
the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods, which shall go before us. For as this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what has become of him. You see, Moses comes down, he says, this is what you ought to do. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Uh, Not just several chapters later, Moses brings them more word. This is what you ought to do. This is what you ought to do. All that the Lord hath said, we will do. Surely, Moses. Then in Exodus 32, the man of God is missing, and the word of God is of no effect. And you say, we don't know what's happened to Moses. Where'd he go? He's up on the mountain. He's probably up there just uh, goofing off. We don't even know what's going on. We need gods to continue to lead us. And they make themselves a golden calf. You see, Israel's been fickle. They've been shaky. They've been wobbly at best. And, Mo- and Joshua's looking at, their, at these children of Israel. The, their fathers were the ones that did this. But he looks at them and he says, Don't make the same mistake. God's not asking you to make just a decision. He's asking for you to have a devotion. A lasting devotion. You know, the first time we hear of Joshua is in Numbers chapter 13. It's that great story where 12 men are chosen out to go spy out the nation, uh, uh, the land of Canaan. Remember that little children's bust song that we always sing? Twelve men went to spy on Canaan. Ten were bad and two were good. Right? Y'all know that one? Well, Joshua was one of those men. Joshua and Caleb were actually the spies that came back and said, We can do this, man. God's with us. If God's with us, who's going to tell us? No, we're going to go in and take the land. And then all the other ten spies, they said, We were as grasshoppers in our own eyes. That's the first time we hear of Joshua. And to my math, I believe Joshua is 47 years old at this time. A young man. Right in the prime of his life. I might be off a few years, so you look a little, (laughs) how'd you get that math? I I might be off a few years. But I think he's right about mid-40s. And Joshua says, you know what? We're going to serve God and God's promised us this land and we're going to go take this land and God's going to do a miracle. Everybody else says we can't do it. No way. We see later on as Joshua now has taken the reins over from Moses in Joshua chapter 6. We see this battle take place. It's called the Battle of Jericho. We see how uh, Joshua is a brilliant man as far as war strategy goes, but God was the one giving him the strategy in the first place. And so, uh, as a man would say, he would probably go get a sword and a spear and he would go charge the the walls of Jericho. But God's plan was very different, was it not? And God said, well, I want you to grab some trumpets. And I want you to grab some priests. And I want you all to walk around the city. And you're going to walk around the city one time every day for six days. But on the seventh day, you're going to walk around the city seven times. After you've completed that, you're all going to shout, the trumpets are going to blow, and Joshua, you're going to see a miracle. You see, Joshua was faithful even when he was just a young man spying out the land of Canaan. Joshua was faithful when a war strategy came from God that made absolutely no sense. He was faithful. Now in Joshua 24, our text this morning, he's 110 years old. And he says, you know what? I've served God my entire life. I was one of the original spies that went into the land of Canaan. 
I went in there and I had faith that God could provide. Nobody else did, just me and Caleb. He says, I'm a 110-year-old man about to die. God's not asking for day-to-day Christianity. God's not asking for you to be a short-time Christian, good circumstances, bad circumstances. The Christian life is not measured in days or years or months. It's measured in decades. You see, Joshua's saying, I need a lasting commitment. This commitment you're giving me sounds very good time gospel. I need a commitment that says, whatever takes place, good times, bad times, we will serve the Lord God of Israel. He says, you cannot uh, wobbly, fickly, uh, just off again, on again Christianity. You can't serve God that way. You must serve Him with a lasting devotion. See, this morning, men, we need to make a decision to follow after God. But our decision needs to be backed with pure devotion. A devotion that says, I'm not going to quit next week when times get hard. A devotion that says, I will last until my casket. That's an intimidating thought for me. One day, my son, one day another man of God will stand, hopefully in this exact same pulpit. And they will be preaching the Word of God and I will be laying in a wooden box right here. And I hope with all my heart that that man can say he was faithful. You see, I don't want to be a man that falls. I don't want to be a man that just that just says, Christianity is no no more for me. I don't want to be a man that says, you know, I can make more money in the secular world. I want to be a man that says, I will serve God until the day that I die. And I'm a preacher of the Word of God, but friend, you ought to have the same heart. You you ought to have the same desire that says, I want to be the man who has faithful written upon his head when he dies. You see, a man like my dad who served God for now 46 years, he's preached the Word of God now 46 years. But see, we ought to be able to look at men like that and say, I want to be that one day. I want to have a testimony of lasting devotion. So not only do we make a decision, we need to have a devotion. Then finally, we need dads who will give direction. These are Joshua's parting words to the nation of Israel. This is the last thing he'll say to them. And his direction is this. He promotes respect. In verse 23... He says, now therefore put away, said he, the strange gods uh, which are among you, and incline your heart unto the Lord. You see, fathers, this applies to us. I believe, and and I I was a little intimidated to preach a Father's Day message, to be honest with you. The Mother's Day I had no problem with, because I could just rip their faces off, right? (laughs) But Father's Day I was a little more intimidated to, because, you know... I am a father. I have a daughter that's passed away and and we have one on the way. But you know what? I didn't want you guys to think that I was just preaching about something I had no experience at. And that was intimidating to me. But I believe these principles are from the Bible. I believe that it's not me standing today. I believe I'm just speaking what the word of God's will for you is. And I believe we can look at this and I believe that Joshua was just simply saying, you have to respect God. Children... At this point in his life, I came to this passage because he says, me and my house. But I have to say, as Joshua looks out over Israel, they've become his children. 
He's led them. He's broke his heart for them. He's went to war for them. He's no doubt got battle scars to prove his devotion and dedication to the nation of Israel. And now he looks out among the crowd and he says, put away the gods and serve the one true God. Father, it is our duty to teach our children to love God. It is our duty to model Christianity to them. I read a story not long ago about a little boy who got a little scared in the middle of a thunderstorm. Thunder and lightning were crashing. It was a little bigger storm than normal. It was more than he was used to. And so the boy heard it and he called for his dad and his dad came in the room. His dad said, son, are you scared? The boy said, yes, dad, I am. He says, son, don't you know that God loves you? and he, He's not going to hurt you. He says, I know, but tonight I, I just wanted someone with skin on them to lay beside me. You see, Daddy, you're God with skin on him. You are the example that your child has. And, and the true saying, the saying is true, you may be the only Bible that some may ever read, but you may be the perfect example of, the, of God the Father's love for your children. And so we must, first of all, promote respect. Secondly, and finally, we must prevent rebellion. If you look at this, and you read this passage, Joshua is very clear what's going to happen to them if they deter, if they get off the course of serving God wholeheartedly. He says, if you're like your fathers and you go back, you will suffer the consequences. And now... It's fun to preach about good news. It's fun to preach about happiness. But Father, it is our duty to tell them that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. But it is also our duty to tell them the way of a transgressor is hard. It is our duty to tell them that a man's heart devises its way, but the Lord directeth his steps. But it is also our duty to say the way of the wicked is as darkness. They know not at what they stumble. You see, here's the fact of the matter is, you may be a great father, and you can never live a Christian life for your children. I was talking to my dad earlier this week, and I was talking to my mom and dad, and I said, one of the hardest things for preacher's kids to do, and I believe this is one of the hardest things for all kids to do, is make their father's faith their faith. To transfer it from his faith to becoming personally effective to them. You see, but your goal and your heart and your, your, your uh, mission is not to live the Christian life for them. It is to tell them what the Christian life is all about. It is to model to them how you were supposed to walk, how you were supposed to behave, who you were supposed to be, and allow God to work in their heart. Man, I just believe with all my heart that we ought to promote respect of God and we ought to prevent rebellion in our children. I recently read a story of a, of a pastor. And this pastor had a son who was in the hospital and they were running several, several tests. And they didn't quite know what was wrong with him. And they finally figured out. And one day the doctor came to the father and he said, Sir, it's, it's terminal. And the boy had about a few weeks to live. And this father, not knowing really how he was going to deliver the message to his son that a, a, a boy in the bloom of youth was going to be in just a few weeks with the Lord. He walked in and he read him a psalm. 
He had a quick word of prayer with his son. And he said, son, are you scared to meet the Lord? The son looked at him and through tear-filled eyes, he said, no, not if he's like you, dad. You see, this morning, our goal is not to make our children live Christianity. It is for us to live Christianity and let them choose. You see, it will not be many years and they will be the one in the pew with their children beside them. And the man of God will stand up and he will preach and he'll say, Choose ye this day whom you will serve. It is not our goal to make them uh, abide by a bunch of rules and policies so that when they're out of the youth department, they rebel. It is our goal to show them what genuine Christianity is all about. Amen. 